Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. You can follow me at Dan Urban MMA. You can also follow the podcast at Couchside Judges. And you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And if you're able to rate the show and you're enjoying what you're listening to, please give us a five star. We would really appreciate it. And as always, we talk about judging in MMA. So you might as well learn the criteria, which can be found at abcboxing.com. Definitely check that out if you don't already know it. So, Dan, we were just talking about uh, cookies, actually, before we got on, right? Yeah, I heard Santa came to your house and got some cookies. Santa came over, got some cookies. Santa came and visited my children. It was it was uh, a very nice visit from Santa, who uh, came over. And, and uh, well, Santa is somebody that, that I'm familiar with. May, may have even been on this podcast uh, in the last you know few seconds. I wish Santa was a guest on the show. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. Do you think he watches fights? Yeah, for sure. He's at Who do you home, think he likes? Who's, who's he a big fan of? He really likes Junior Dos Santos because he's such a nice guy. He's on the nice list. Probably. Um, I would also say, for the same logic, it's it's got to be Roxanne Modafferi. I mean, Diaz brothers most likely got Cole for a lot of no, years. No, no. I don't even think. I don't think they're. I mean, look, they, they teach kids. All right, strictly fight promotion wise, they've gotten Cole. All right, maybe maybe Santa isn't a fan of the language. I think that's probably <laughs> what it is. But I mean, if I'm thinking of people who get Cole, Conor McGregor gets Cole. All right, that's. A good, I mean, that's that dude better... doesn't need anything from Santa. He's looking at that's Santa at, at yeah. him being like, "You better me- give me some really good cookies." <laughs> it's true. But in particular with cookies, we were talking about Oreos, right? Oreos. And you said something that surprised me. Oh yeah. What part of the Oreo is your favorite that you would be able to give up the other part? The cookie is the part. I I could give up the cream, no doubt. I just want the cookies. And I'm completely the opposite of that. I'm I'm polar opposite of this. See, see, there you go. They should sell Oreo cream like in a tub, and you would buy that. Mm -hmm. And then I would just buy the cookies. You know what we could do is we could do something really adorable. We could buy a, a pack of Oreos and I just scrape off with like a knife the the cream and then I give you the cookie. That'd be nice, yeah. But enough cookies talking. No more cookies. Moving on to what I think we really got to focus our whole show on here and that's the fact that we are now just past the 10-year anniversary of the final WEC World Extreme Cage Fighting event. I can't believe it's been 10 years since this thing's been gone. I miss it. I was shocked when you told me that this happened a decade ago. I was like, wait, what? Anthony Pettis has been in the UFC for 10 years? That's right. Yeah. Anthony Pettis. And then obviously Benson Henderson and come over Dominic Cruz. Yeah. It's, it's been, uh, it's been crazy to think just how long it's actually been gone. It's really long. I mean, what do you miss about the WEC the most? The blue cage. I mean, very aesthetically <sighs> pleasing. I'm glad you said that. Cause we'll get to this later, but our past judgment is a selection from the final WEC event. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself again, I'm like, I miss the blue cage. Yeah. You know what? Let me tell you something about the blue cage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just apply to the WEC. Where I don't want to go on a long tangent here, but the WWF's blue cage was the best steel cage. Oh, the and, way back then. Yeah. But yes, and the WEC has the best octagon or cage, uh, whatever shape it was. In I'm MMA. Sorry, I believe it was an octagon. I, I wasn't paying attention, but um, I, I, at this point, I've actually forgotten that weird detail, but um. I think what really stands out for me is not necessarily the cage from WEC, but the the fact that it was a blue mat. Yeah. I think it makes the fighters stand out a lot better. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think it's, they're it's easier. Not, I mean, people are not remotely blue. Right. It's easier on the eyes. I think so. You know, the gray is just so drab. And then obviously you've got advertisements all around for, you know, Trojan and. Mm. And the blood and the Bud Light label in the center of the cage for this fight just fit in perfect. It did. It did. <laughs> <laughs> just just hit in there. It was like it was very uh, camouflaged. Also, real quick, they should never use a yellow mat ever again because that is harsh. Oh, that. Yeah, I remember that one. That was disgusting. I think that was UFC 200. UFC 200. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. You got that. That was that was gross. Please don't ever do that again. Uh, red would be terrible. And then green would also be pretty bad. Honestly, blue, like it really just for some reason works. Yeah, blue works. Blue's the best color, and there's no debate in that. Mm-hmm. I agree. But other than aesthetics, when you think of the WEC, what are what are the type of things you think? I'm not, and I'm not just saying like specific fighters. Are there like fights, or is there any sort of like lighter weight thing classes, you think of that you miss too? Lighter weight classes, uh, getting some kind of of a course the dominant sure. stuff in the later. I mean, they part, had yeah. they had bigger bigger weight classes. I mean, some yeah, some when good when fighters Zufa came from bought there. them. They had all the way up to, I want to say, they had a light heavyweight title, but not yeah, a heavyweight I, I title. I think Brian Stan was their champ at light heavyweight. He was at one point. Steve Cantwell was as well. And then they folded that division in, so both of them came over. And Stan obviously had a pretty solid career, especially when he went down to middleweight. I love Brian Stan, especially as a commentator. I mm-hmm. miss him as a commentator. Mm-hmm. Brian um, Stan was good. But, but beyond them, yeah, then they had the middleweight division. Of course, that was Chael Sonnen ended up uh, being kind of the standout by the end. Uh, but Paul Ophelio, before the wheels came off of him, he was obviously he was a big guy and you know he started out in Pride and then came over there. Yeah. Um, didn't really work out either. And then Carlos Condit, of course. But yeah, I mean, for the last couple of years, two or three years, uh, it was mostly focused on yeah, lightweight, uh, featherweight, and bantamweight. Yeah, I think much of the focus was on the featherweight division because Uriah Faber was was definitely the star of that whole. He was in the early part, yeah. yeah, and then. We saw the the rising of uh, Mike Brown real quick, which was Mike Brown, who's of course now one of the finest mm-hmm. coaches in MMA. And then we saw Jose Aldo, which turned out to be a legend. And yeah, goat level. You, put, you would put him on the the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, Jose's up, and he's still. I can't believe he's still pretty young too. I think he's like thirty two. And fighting this weekend. It's true. <laughs> Keep on fighting, Jose. It's it was fun actually. There are two former WEC studs that are fighting on this particular weekend's event. There's no way the UFC actually planned that out there. There's no way they actually thought that far into it. It just happened where we have Aldo and Anthony Pettis both on this card this weekend. Oh, they didn't think of that at all. No, not a chance. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just don't give their matchmakers credit enough, especially in this particular year where they're just hoping somebody makes it to Saturday. And for all we know, Neither of these guys are going to make it Saturday. Someone's going to get COVID or something. I don't know. I don't even think I'm jinxing it at this point. I, there's nothing you can do to jinx it. It's This is how it's working. I do remember uh, looking slightly down at the time because I remember I was at a bar, and f- this is when Faber was, was Faber, and BJ Penn was just dominating. He just smashed Sean Shirk. Okay. And I remember the bartender because he, he liked MMA, and he would talk about the, the WEC, and he's like, yeah. I really think Faber could beat BJ Penn. And I looked at him and I said, bro, you are out of your mind right now. <laughs> There's no shot. I mean, Faber's got to come up a weight class. It's not going to happen. And that, that's like one of the most things that, that, that stick out in my mind when I think of the I would ABC. say at that time, Penn was borderline unstoppable. That was especially right after the Shirk fight. 
he was at the height of his power. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a part of me almost thinks it wouldn't have taken that much longer for them to actually get on more even terms. And I think if they fought today, not the, please don't ever make this fight. Don't put Uriah Faber against BJ <laughs> Penn. I never want to see this fight. I never, ever, ever want to see this fight. The thing is, but B- if they did, I think Faber would absolutely smash BJ. So do I, because I think Faber's stayed closer to equilibrium uh, and BJ Penn has fallen off a cliff. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So. I think you nailed it. And, I, and you're a big BJ fan. Yeah, so, he's my know, favorite this all is time. Not, yeah. this is, you're not biased one way, you're biased the other way. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm, for me, though, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I think of Faber. I think of those fights. I, I think of I think of guys like Chris Hordesky. I think of Mark Hominick. I think of these guys that were on the lighter weights, and they put on some really fun fights. Hominick, I just saw a video of Hominick uh, fighting WEC today. Was it the Yves Boyne? Uh, yes, and I don't know how that fight was not stopped. Oh, it was such a fun! I mean, it was eventually stopped. It, it, I mean, I mean, after he hits him in the body shot, and and Jaboyne's uh slumped over, and he's just eating punches to the face. I'm like, any time now, you can stop it. And he doesn't stop it, and then he gets uh, Hominick got rocked. Caposa like, shared that one. Uh, I was glad he did because that was a that's actually a fight that really stuck out for me. Uh, I want to say it was like WEC 49. I didn't watch the clip that he shared. I I watched the fight live when it happened, and I I don't think I actually have watched it since. But um, that fight, that was that one fight of the night. I'm pretty sure that night it was like a. I think it went like seven minutes, and it was just torrid. The whole the whole fight. It was like it was one insane. of the most fun seven minutes you're ever gonna yeah, watch in MMA. I bet. Just don't know how it made seven minutes. <laughs> but right. I yeah I I had a lot of fun watching fights like that. You know when I got into UFC, I got into it around you know 2007 2008. And I kind of dove right into not just UFC, but as much other stuff as I could consume. I was watching Strike Force pretty early on. I was watching WEC as often as I could. Um, and I, I really did. WEC resonated with me a lot, probably because I'm not a big guy. And I, I actually kind of enjoyed watching some of the lighter weights. All right. I also kind of like underdogs. And, and not that not that any of these guys were necessarily underdogs, but they were also kind of there was like a hidden gemness to them because you had. These were literally the best guys in the world at 145 pounds, 135 pounds. And th- these are guys now, 10 years later, we're watching them headline pay-per-views and things. And back then, it was just, you know, something that was on Versus Network, which doesn't exist anymore. I believe it's now called NBC Sports Network. And it was on like a random Thursday or a Wednesday or something like that. Sometimes it was on a Saturday. But yeah, this this was just like, this was high-level elite MMA and Almost nobody was watching it. It felt like underground. That's because fans are conditioned to believe the baddest man in the world is in the most premier division is heavyweight. Yep. And we've learned that heavy, heavyweights may hit the hardest, but they are, I think, the least skillful division outside they of the top tier. They are on the whole the least skillful. Outside yeah, of the I mean, top you, tier. Certainly there is yeah. exceptions. Right. Now, yeah, outside of the top tier. But, I mean... These and re- when really you say good. the top tier, I think you probably mean basically the top one or two guys, right? Steep A, DC. I mean, even DC's in, retired, even. So I mean, even really Nganu, uh, he's sloppy, but he hits like a truck. So he hit on me. He hits like several trucks. <laughs> I, I just think uh, the little guys have to rely on their technique because they just don't pack the power. Typically. Yeah, I mean, that's so, that's basically accepted. That's that's not yeah. even a debate. And, and they don't get tired, they just keep trying to kill each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, people like, uh, like you said, Faber, he kept going. I, I remember the fight where the second fight against Mike Brown, because he got stopped, I think, in the first round against first Mike round Brown. Against, yeah. and he first lost his mm-hmm. belt. But then the rematch, that one went five rounds. And 
I want to say Faber broke both hands during this fight, and he's like throwing elbows in round four or five to just keep think... offense going. But he like he was definitely still pushing, and I actually thought his offense was a little more successful later in the fight when he had no hands left. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. But fight. I haven't watched that fight in many years, so, so I could be misremembering this. Yeah, I mean, little guys deserve the respect, and it's it's good to finally see them get it. I'm glad. Can you imagine if a few years later there was st- it was still on this other promotion low level not low level but you know off of main focus mma and conor mcgregor comes along and they're trying to stick conor mcgregor on wec yeah that that just i mean it made no sense like they could have done i don't know if they necessarily missed any opportunity i think faber might have been just a bit of a missed opportunity probably should have folded that division in earlier and he could have been a bigger star well they almost crossover star at one point they dropped 155 the ufc yeah, they, was this, the this was before that, of course, but yeah. Right. Like, so, I mean, at one point, if 155 was too small. There probably, were weird decisions yeah. made along the way with the UFC. The UFC, obviously, they're here for certain reasons, but, I mean, they've shot themselves in the foot so many times over the years. It's like, you almost wonder, like, man, how do they stay here? But yeah, we've we've gone way off the rails here, of course. We've, we've strayed from the WAC. Let's, let's bring it back, and let's go to past judgment with the final ever WEC fight the classic headliner between Benson Smooth Henderson and Anthony Showtime Pettis the first time these two met for the WEC lightweight title and it wasn't just the lightweight title you know the guy who was going to leave that was up for grabs it was supposed to be who was going to get the title shot in the UFC they were going to do champion versus champion so this is there were big stakes here big stakes but before we get into it you know we'll we'll get to that later uh why don't you, again, remind everybody what we do for scoring fights in past judgment, Dan? Yep. Our CSJ criteria is basically the same as the ABC criteria, which, as we mentioned earlier, is available at abcboxing.com. Like certified judges, we score rounds based on the three Ds, damage, dominance, and duration, but we just made a few key changes. A 10-9 round is a competitive round, which neither fighter checks off one of the three Ds by a larger margin. A 10-8 can be considered just for one D, but should definitely be given when two Ds are achieved. A 10-7 is available for checking off two Ds, but must be given for all three. We've discarded tiebreakers for effective aggression and area control, as these are rarely used by judges anyway. The rare 10-10 would only be given in largely uneventful rounds. All this helps provide more varied scores that should more accurately reflect what happened in a fight. Alright, Scott, set up the WEC farewell fight, Pettis vs. Bendo. Yeah, so, again, WEC 53... The final WEC event from Jobing.com Arena in Phoenix. Jobing.com. I, I don't actually, know what that is. I, I was wondering where this was because I, I I was like, wow, this is like a big arena. I wonder if this was somewhere else. Like, No, this, uh, was, this was essentially kind of like a hometown fight for Benson Henderson, actually. Okay. Yeah, he trains in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of that's his digs there. So you had a little bit of a hometown edge there. And uh, yeah, so it was – well. Technically, it was in Glendale, Arizona, but that's, you know, that's like where the Cardinals play. This is where they put mm-hmm. the arenas in the suburbs. Yeah. So, yeah. Last one, December 16, 2010. Dan and I are recording this just after midnight on December 17th. So we're just past the 10-year anniversary of this fight. Uh, Henderson, obviously, came in with the belt. Uh, he was 12-1, and one, had won 10 in a row. He was 27 years old. He had a pair of championship victories over Donald Cowboy Cerrone as well as one between those two over Jamie Varner uh, all in the past 14 months. So he'd been a pretty busy champion. Uh, Pettis, champ should be. only 23. He also was 12 and run. He had won three in a row just after suffering his first career loss against another 
name for the past for most people don't remember, but I think a lot of kind of hardcore fans will remember Bart Palaszewski. Yeah, big old Bart. I remember just trying to remember how to say his name. Palaszewski. I I mean, I, you know, P-A-L-A-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I. It's it's phonetic, obviously. All right. Scott won the Uh, spelling bee. And uh, that was a split decision loss. But uh, he, you know, he went on a roll after that. He'd actually won two fights in a row by triangle choke Pettis uh, over Alex Carolexis and Shane Roller. Very good guard. He's a very good guard. Yeah. I mean, anybody who thought of him as just a striker, I'm pretty sure he reminded you these two fights like no nah, i can do this too i can i can set up you uh judges for this one i'm gonna probably butcher at least one of these names but tom gabauer nelson doc hamilton of course i got that one right and derek zazueta tough names to pronounce uh, i'm i'm sure they'd be easy <laughs> if they told me <laughs> and and the referee for this one was Herb dean and i should also note that we do not have individual round scores for this one I don't even want to guess what they had, so we're not going to spend too much time on what the judges said in each round. All right. So, yeah, let's let's just start with round one. What we think. What'd you see, Dan? Yeah, round one kind of felt each other out for like the first two minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's okay. I, I can accept that. Bendo finally landed the uh, opening effective offense, I'd say. He had, it lands a nice combo and just works himself straight into a clinch. Good throwing, clinch knees in there. Throwing some good knees there. Gets a takedown, and as I mentioned before, Pettis, very active guard. Just didn't see too much offense on Pettis' part. Uh, I thought Henderson... Yeah, took act- this active, one. but not necessarily offensive. Right, uh, or effective, yeah. Effective offense, yes. Uh, I went 10-9 Henderson. Thought it, thought it was good, pretty... Good grounded pound. Pretty, he had some good ground shots yeah, down there. I, I thought it was pretty easy to go 10-9 for Henderson in this round. Yeah, I mean, again, I you know I said that... I don't want to speculate on what the judges said here, but I mean, it's I can't imagine a way that any judges could watch this round and say 10-9 Pettis here. But I, I can't imagine I'm wrong. This is a, well, this I is think, obviously a 10-9 Henderson round. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't want to speculate. I don't know. <laughs> but I would think they all got this one for Henderson, but who knows? Sure, sure. Quiet start, of course, but things start to heat up a little bit more in this round. Just a little bit. Round what, two. What, oh, round two? Yeah. Uh this this one I scored for Pettis, but this was this was a good round. Henderson mm-hmm. landed a couple body kicks throughout. I mean, continued his strategy of clinch and knee, but he just didn't do it as well this round. Mm. I could say. Uh, Pettis appeared to drop Bendo early. They it looked like it. Yeah, I mean, watching it live, I totally thought that he dropped. I actually, I wasn't entirely sure, but it looked enough like he hit him and knocked him down. It didn't. The the body didn't move the same way that you kind of expected to when. You know, someone lands a punch and they fall down, but weird, weird things have happened. So, yeah, the way I took it is I saw a punch thrown and I saw someone kind of look like a strange motion happen. Yeah. Later on, they said I mean, something was a, it was more of a trip or something. But I mean, as I'm scoring it, I'm scoring it as a punch that landed with, with a absolutely. A drop, yeah. So. I mean, that's the only way if, if you see it from the angle we had, which obviously is different from the three men cage side. Uh, that's that's what I would do. I would I would have scored it the same way. We didn't have the benefit of Stefan Bonner. We wouldn't have had the benefit of Stefan Bonner clarifying that yes, it was actually more of a trip. Who, real quick, who I thought did a fantastic job on commentary. Actually, yes, I I kind of uh, forgot that Bonner was actually pretty good. At I this. thought he actually oh. understand the criteria too of what what rounds are being scored. I thought he did a fair, fairly well job, fairly good job, whatever right word is. I didn't think of uh, I didn't think of that particular consideration, but I just in general, I thought he was he was engaging. He mm-hmm. was he was really on top of the action. He was he was telling you what was happening. I mean, he very clearly, you know, elocuted what was going on with that trip. I, th- I thought that was it was good to see that it was kind of smooth. 
and not necessarily like taking away from the, like some mm-hmm. commentators and I'm not going to name anybody, but it does seem like they kind of almost take away from the action that's happening in the cage with what their personality is. And, you know, this is just kind of the force of their personality. Sometimes yeah. I don't think Stefan Bonner did that here. I thought he was, he was just perfect. He yeah, like nailed it. Was it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, not, I, I mean, it's 10 years ago, I don't think Stefan Bonner is going to be stepping into the UFC's uh, commentary booth any, anytime soon. But uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed this too. But yeah, going back to the fight, I thought the round it was, it actually was kind of close. I agree. And what I think the argument comes down to, if, if you're going to kind of debate where it should go, is I think Henderson was landing more, but Pettis was landing better. Okay, here's, here's how, what cleared it up for me, was after that, he gets dropped, he gets a body lock, kicks him in the head off like a clinch, like, well, mm-hmm. he has him wrapped up, and then... Henderson grabs that Kimura yeah. that we saw him do to Frankie Edgar almost every single time, and it made Frankie back off. Mm-hmm. Here, Pettis is like, no, I'm just going to take you down, help and use it, and then he gets caught in his own Kimura, which I thought was a really good Kimura, even though it was so brief. It's like he had rubber arms. I was like, wow, that's really... And his arm could have broken right there. They were calling him Gumby. So, <laughs> And then I also Hot thought Harrison Pettis Bar. landed the better shots as well, but yeah. that Kimura helped for me that that Kimura it's interesting you broke it down that way and, and maybe you're in the right here but it almost seemed to me like he just he, he only had it like ever so briefly and the fact that he was able to slip out so it seemed so quickly and easily it, it just didn't seem like it was as effective as an attack as maybe it kind of looked it looked like his arm was going to touch the back of his head to me and it, it was just because it was so brief and maybe they were slick or something it, it just popped mm-hmm. out and he lost it but just because he had it back there, I mean, you know, we're talking about someone who probably is some sort of flexible. You know, it does it. It did it look like he was in danger necessarily? I don't know I if mean, he would. I, have, I don't know. It wasn't there long enough. But I think any, you know, if you're not flexible like that, you're definitely in danger of injury. Sure, sure. But but again, the fact that he seemed to slip out so easily from the fact that it was already back there, you, you almost wonder. Well, did he have it that securely? I I, I think so. If he got his arm f- that high up, I think so for sure. Okay. All right, I'm 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 playing a little bit of a devil's yeah. advocate here, but um, I mean, nonetheless, I I should say I went ten nine Pettis. I think this is probably not necessarily it's not wrong to go for Henderson here, but I think Pettis kind of is right if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, ten nine is you know close round again. Um, it's just the thing with the thing with Pettis is that he really to this point in the fight is not throwing often enough. Seems a bit yeah, maybe it's just calculated right now. I, yeah, I think he's kind of playing. He's he's kind of looking for openings a little bit more for like one shots rather than trying to set anything. You know, maybe setting up traps and things like that. But um, it's it's not really effective offense to the degree that you'd be hoping that he would be. You know, I mean, he's a he's a kick. You know, they're both kickboxing backgrounds, uh, taekwondo backgrounds, I believe, both of them. And I don't want to write off a Benson Henderson as good striking game, but you think of Pettis as the striker, and and I wasn't seeing quite the level that I would have been expecting. But, you know, I'm also watching this now 10 years later, thinking of what I think of Pettis mostly in the last 10 years. Yeah. So it's hard to say. <laughs> but, yeah, so so obviously we both have it tied at 19 right now. Uh, you know, I don't want to speculate what the judges have, but, you know, there's a good chance it was tied there as well, uh, especially based on what the final scores we got. But round three, though, this very easy call. Oh, yeah, for sure. This at is- least as far as who won it. Yeah, I don't, if if anyone scored this one for Henderson, I think that's definitely a bad score and really wrong. I would agree. 
I mean, basically, yeah, this, was, this was a busy round for Pettis, though. This was much busier. Uh, as far, yeah, definitely grappling wise too. I mean, he had the back right. for I don't know how many minutes it was. It was it was a long time. He was on Benson Henderson's back. It seemed while, like three while minutes. Standing up, yeah, probably about final three minutes of the round or so. Might have been even more. And he's he was bombing for that very body. last break in the last few seconds. Like I, I don't think Henderson's body was feeling good the next day. He was just ripping to the ribs. I thought. But you know what? He the one thing that stood out about Henderson though is it late in the round because he spent almost the whole round just like defending his neck and and absorbing some yep. punches, but. Late in the round, he finally starts saying, "All right, I'm just going to elbow Pettis in the thigh, or I believe it was his thigh." Yeah, that's what he's he was digging yeah. elbows in, like hard down elbows, and and was, they almost looked like ten to six or twelve to six elbows. They weren't quite, I don't think, but it was you generating a lot of force there, and I think that scored pretty well for him. But uh, I'd say honestly, they were good. not enough to make a big difference. I think they were probably more annoying. Than effective, I'd say. No, I mean, you ever been elbowed in the thigh? I know, but I don't think it was it was changing anything. Uh, I have not been doing. elbowed in the thigh for for the record. I'm thinking, well, we, Scott, basically the, the the first guard pass we we learn is dig your elbow into the thigh. I mean, later yeah, on, yeah, but you that's learn different. That's later different on you learn thing. it's it's hack, but it is hack. But when you're a beginner, that's what you do. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> get by. You're just you're just trying to survive, <laughs> um, and usually you don't. But no, I mean, there's a difference between digging your elbow in a little bit and pushing and bringing downward force like that, especially from someone like Benson Henderson. Yeah, I just I just think, I mean, I, I didn't see any reactions where it was going to stop Pettis from doing what he wanted to do. He still was attacking the neck, still ripping the body. I mean, I'll say so. this, and I, I'm not saying one is related to the other, but it's, it's at least worth thinking about. He did let go of the body triangle and they did separate near the end of the round. Ah, maybe. And it was not long after he was taking those elbows. So who's to say? Maybe it just annoyed him enough. He's like, all right, enough of this. I, I'm I guess that sure counts as effective. Annoying. I guess Going. that counts as effective. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah, there you go. But, hey, <laughs> I not, think I've, he ain't going to win won. a fight with, with elbows Winner! to the thigh. He ain't going to win a fight from there. Uh, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't argue that either. But um, again, it was just something that it wasn't like a total shutout for Henderson. Henderson did almost nothing for a while, but then he had some of those late. And I was like, okay, at least there's something there, you know, but nonetheless, he had the back for a long time. He was basically just trying not to get choked. Yeah. And I, I think that was enough because he had it for that long. You're, you're talking about dominance and duration. You know, you've got two D's there. That's where you, and especially in our system, you can start going borderline 10, eight, 10, seven. I only went 10, eight because yeah. I didn't see enough effort to finish the fight from, Pettis. Right. I would have went 10 8. I, I did go 10 8 for us. ABC, I go 10 9. Yeah. I think I would do the same. I don't I don't think this is uh, a round that judges would be necessarily considering as a, a 10 8. Maybe, maybe they would. I don't know. I, I'm certainly open to being wrong because they know it better than me. But yeah, this to me looks like, like a really good 10 9. But in our system, we get to call that a 10 8 if we want. And I think that I think this is a 10 8 for our system. Yep. So we got it. So I've got twenty eight. Oh, excuse me, twenty nine, twenty seven for Pettis. Yeah. And then you you have the same score. Yeah, we have the same scorecard. Okay, okay. So we're still in step, you and I, and it's looking like a pretty good fight for Pettis so far. But round four, you get a little bit more of a comeback, right? In but, what I yeah. thought is a just a classic round, right? Yeah, Benson actually was the aggressor, at least in the early part of this round. Mm-hmm. Came out strong, um, but he got caught in the, the, that guillotine right away from Pettis. Which his escape was kind of like the last ditch effort of an escape. So I, I scored mm-hmm. that guillotine pretty strong. Yeah, I think so. I think he scored it pretty well. 
And, you know, after that, he ended up taking Pettis' back and locked in what I thought was a very savvy uh, rear naked choke. Kind of like he... At this, at this point in the round, dude, I'm thinking, like, I'm starting to lean, wow, Henderson's on his way to a 10-7. We're still early in the round, and a lot can happen, but it's really, it's looking that way. Uh, I didn't, I don't think I had it. Uh, I had, I probably was leaning maybe 10-8, per, perhaps. I don't know if I ever thought 10-7. I don't know. He had good attacks here. That were, he did. That were he did close. have good attack. Like I was saying, that, that very, rear naked. The rear naked took was was he was there. It it was tight, and I, the way he got his arm under, he fooled Pettis like he was going to throw a punch. Pettis brought his defense out like he's going to block the punch, and he just slid it in under the throw. I thought it was very very uh slick. It was slick. It, it I was, was thinking tight. slick. That's a good word. Uh, but he, Pettis gets out somehow. <laughs> So I yeah, I don't really know uh, how he got out of that one. <laughs> I, was, I was actually ask I was going to ask you that. I have it in my notes. How did he get out of that, Dan? Because he went he went from the normal on arm on bicep choke and then he switched to a gable grip. And he probably was just sweaty or just kept turning and turning and turning. It is late out. in the fight. We're talking about so round four now. He gets up and he and he finally puts him you know, they get back on the feet and now this is where the tide kind of turned, I thought, for in Pettis' favor, even though he's losing by a bunch, I think. Yeah. Um because he goes back to that defensive kind of on your back foot while Pettis yes. is moving forward. And, you know, it, we're not saying that that's what's scoring for him. The, right. the, that would be just aggression. No, this is just a strategy. I think. Yeah, should, sure. Yeah, yeah. He's back on his defensive, you know, throwing body kicks, good knees to the body. Still landing pretty good. Uh, but then he gets caught in another guillotine. And this one lasts the final minute of the round pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it was ever close until the final 10 seconds where Pettis started making adjustments, but Benson was able to ride it out. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right here. I, again, I was talking about like at, at certain point, I'm like, I'm like, wow, we're kind of on our way to a 10, seven. Cause we've got a, like a near finish here. It's looking pretty good. But yeah, I think the, the nature of the round, just kind of having these momentum swings here and there and Pettis, I think probably had more momentum swings, but not as he never reached the same height. So I ended up kind of averaging it out to a 10, nine for Henderson. Yeah. I scored a 10, nine for Henderson. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, you almost look at it, it's like, oh, 10-9 Henderson, but like, it almost makes it sound like a bland score, but I mean, this was, this it was, was a wild, wild round. round. This Such was, a wild yeah. round, like a great, great round. Very swingy. It's funny because, because of round five, which we'll talk about in just a second, no one thinks about like a round like this, which was like a really a fantastic round and a fantastic fight. But what happens in round five, which again, I'll get to in just one second, is it, it like takes a life of its own and just takes over the what people remember about this fight. This is yeah, this is what people are gonna remember for the next fifty years of MMA. Hopefully. I mean hopefully. Who knows? Yeah. I mean but, I won't be here in fifty years to talk about that. The one thing I didn't remember of this, uh, we'll get to in a minute. Uh but let's let's just start this round. Pettis rocks Benson a little bit and he stumbles forward. Well, before we even do that, I just want to point out our scores. Uh, we had 38-37 for Pettis at this point. Yeah, so we got Pettis winning in a, in a close one. It's a close one. So in our scoring system, you know, a good round from Henderson could have stolen the, the fight. Yeah. But on to round five. Yeah, so you're saying. So I was saying Pettis hits Benson with a right and make him stumble forward. So it's like, uh, is he stumbling because he got hit or did he slip? I wasn't really sure in on it. So I kind of scored it somewhere in the middle. Okay. Uh, I thought Pettis was landing good punches this round. And this was easily his best round of striking, just like by far. And, and again, it's even before the big moment, which we'll get to. And then this, the the, moment, the part I was talking about before, Pettis starts getting really aggressive. He's bouncing around, like throwing a lot of feints, and Benson's ankles break, and he goes down without even being touched. I thought, wow, Allen Iverson must be in Pettis's camp 
because he just crossed him over like you see on a basketball court. Yeah. That was I was like, wow. I, I of all people to do that to, I didn't think that would happen to a guy like Benson Henderson, who's very athletic. Mm, but anyway, smooth even. That that's I mean really doesn't score, but I was like, man, it should <laughs> score because that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it should, but it doesn't. It doesn't, but it should. Um, Benson eats a huge knee to the face trying to take do a takedown. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you've seen bigger ones. I feel like from those situations, but I mean, anytime you're you're shooting in for a takedown and you eat a, a forward knee, that's it's good damage. <laughs> Usually yeah, gets good damage much. out of that. Uh, and after he ate it, he just stayed there, grabbing onto the leg while Pettis smashed him in the head. Obviously, bit. at least in a little bit of trouble, if if nothing else. I mean, he's probably still just committed to the takedown, but mm-hmm. I, I think I think he definitely felt that one. That was good. That was a very effective offense. Mm-hmm. And then, but. He does end up taking the back of Pettis, albeit very briefly. Very briefly. He Landing didn't really those get much weird out of that. kicks that he throws with his heel. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, and then anything else happened in this round we should talk about? Nothing else, right? I don't. I don't recall anything much more memorable. Why don't you remember the Showtime kick? Oh yeah, duh. Yeah, <laughs> Showtime kick. The what they called they were calling that ninja kick. The ninja kick. <laughs> Pettis said he has ten that. more of those in his in his repertoire. Practice yeah, them every seen, day. I haven't seen ten more of those, uh, <laughs> Anthony. I've, not even, not even that particular kick. I, I still haven't seen any more crazy kicks. I, I've seen uh, Joaquin Buckley show me an awesome kick this year. Where was that? Yeah, and you know Ben went down hard, like flash KO. I think it because his mean, arms kind of was, but I mean, obviously they didn't stop the fight, but it, it did kind of look that way. And uh, that's the type of fight strike too that, like, I think it landed hard, but what made it so great was just. There's no way Benson Henderson's like, well, he's jumping off the cage and he's going to kick me in the head. So I know how to defend this. Like, that's like a very unexpected <laughs> strike. And when we don't see it coming, that's that's where it hurts you the most. Right. He got, he got smacked, went down. And then for the rest of the round, just got smashed in the face. Like the whole final minute of, of, of the round. Because, yeah, this happened in like the 24th or 25th minute. Like it was right around that transition mark. So we almost didn't get this into the fighting time. Wait, what was that? I just mean because I mean we're talking about the fight's almost done. Oh yeah, yeah, it had to line you know? up perfect because Ben had to be somewhat close to the cage for it to even be considered. Benson actually, right before this happened, it, it, he kind of like bounced off the cage himself a little bit. Yeah, I did notice that, and it was funny because I'm almost like, did did Pettis see that and be like, well, oh, I wonder if I can just jump off now. I, I do this at home. Well, I noticed in the uh, in the warm up and the, the, not the warm up, the uh, lead up to the fight where they show the highlights mm. of each guy. Uh, one of Pettis's highlights is a, a push off the cage and a punch with his foot. He, he pushes off the back cage and throws a, a right. Oh, yeah, so, like, like Superman style, are you talking like, about? Yeah, but using the cage for a little extra oomph. Sure, no, so, I mean, we've, we've seen we've seen strikes like that before. I remember, uh, I think probably about a year before this, God, I want to say it was, I want to say it was Alan Belcher against Yoshihiro Akiyama. You remember these names? I know Akiyama. Well, those two fought on the main card. This was like- And Alan Belcher, I know them both, yeah. What's that? You said Alan Belcher, right? Alan Belcher. Oh, yeah, I know Alan Belcher. He's got a great tattoo on his arm. Uh, he has a terrible tattoo on his <laughs> arm. <laughs> but no, these these two fought. This was on the main card of UFC 100, one of the bigger pay-per-views that they had had for a very long time, the Brock Lesnar and uh, Frank Mir rematch. Yep. So they were on the main card of that. And and at some point in that fight, I think it was Belcher, actually, who did the push push off the cage uh, Superman punch to okay. Akiyama. It might have been the other way around, but it's been a while. Sexy Yama. Uh, Sexy Yama, yes, right. <laughs> All right. But yeah, so I mean, we've seen this before, but this obviously the Showtime kick. It's still legendary. We still talk about it, at least to some degree. You know what I was thinking? 
Hmm. Is it in any of the video games? Can you do it in any of the video games? Yes. Yeah, okay. they put it into one of the UFCs that came out from THQ around that time. Okay. They they made sure to get that one in. I think it was like part of the marketing even. Okay. I couldn't remember. <laughs> like, you can do this at home. Like, I can do this at home? Hot dog. <laughs> People but, say hot dog still. It's it's 1920. And then, you know, the one thing I, I, I saw at the end is Benson eats another knee to the face right before the bell he rings. He does. Yeah, he gets crushed. He he is in a lot of trouble in this round. And he fell flat on his face. Do you know how you want to know that did you did you think let me ask you this. Did you think that watching this round that it was a very lopsided round like on, as far as volume from each guy? No. It totally was. At least okay. if you go by UFC stats, the total strikes 52 to 5 in favor of Pettis. Well, that's I could see I could see Pettis's numbers being up because that final minute he didn't stop punching. But Henderson, five strikes. He was really out of it, yeah. So, I mean, not again, judges do not have these numbers available to them when they're watching a fight, but they're these guys are well-trained. They've seen a billion fights, and I think they can probably figure out, probably even better than someone like you and I can, watching a fight, like just how lopsided it could be as far as the number of strikes coming one way or the other. And I have to think that they would notice a huge discrepancy in offense coming from Henderson and coming to Henderson from Pettis. So while they don't have this number, I have to think they know just how lopsided it was in favor of Pettis. So you have what amounts to a 10 to 1 ratio in terms of total strikes landed in favor of Pettis. And you've got him hurting Henderson several times. I think this is an easy 10-7 in our system. Uh, I can totally see the 10-7. Mm-hmm. And uh, someday I might go 10-7. Someday, huh? Not today? Maybe tomorrow. Not on this but- day? 10-8 is the way I scored it, and I, I said I would score this a 10-8 in the ABC scoring criteria. Okay, yeah. So I, would I actually would agree. I think that's probably a fair way to do it. And I didn't go 10-7 for the reasons you mentioned. I really thought it was a lower volume round. It didn't seem uh, bell-to-bell for me. I thought the mo- a lot of those stats are going to come in that final minute. But it doesn't need to be bell-to-bell right, to it, do- it, it doesn't, but I, I just want to see it a tad more. Tad more oh, dominant no. I, I, for me. He was in such a bad... So, think about it. You said it yourself. The whole final minute, he's just He was getting trouble. smashed, right? Yeah. But I, I would like I mean, to you see got, maybe... At that point, you've got high damage and you've got duration. I think that, right. that so easy is too... You could probably call that dominance at this point. Uh, I, I, for Striking sure, dominance. I checked, D, I checked damage. I checked duration. And that's that's why That's why I went 10-8 in both ways. I'm not like I'm not offended necessarily that you didn't see a 10-7 watching it like I did. I and and oh no, I could I, see a 10-7. It says it in my notes. I could really see a 10-7. That's okay, my okay, exact cool. wording. <laughs> I got you. Well, I don't have your notes. What do I know? <laughs> you can notes to yourself. Uh, and tomorrow no, I, I might go 10-7 because I probably watch I do, it again. Tomorrow. I do kind of understand why it might only be a 10-8, but uh, for me, I think this is a very clear 10-7 for the way we're allowed to give out 10-7s, which is. You can give it a 10-7 with just two Ds. Exactly. You could. You know? But I think you can probably check off all three here. And, and at that point, it's it's academic. You know, it's it, it, you it is it. also some sometimes Benson had some stifling moments where he just shut Pettis down. I mean, it's which prevented Pettis from having more offense pretty much. Yeah. I, so even though it's not I don't necessarily I think look it, at that as like, oh, that's what kept him from getting a, you know, a 10-7. No, for me, it, it, it kept... Pettis from having more offense to push it to that limit for me. I guess that's pretty much. I mean, it wasn't effective uh, by Benson. It just it prevented him from getting smashed some more. 
I don't know. This this is a damn good round for Pettis. <laughs> oh, it was a great round for him. I just didn't, yeah, yeah. I it, I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to to you know make shame you into changing your score or anything like that. But I I definitely feel good about mine, and I can understand why you're on the fence about yours. All right, good. But nobody, no judges gave out a 10-8 for this, even without the individual scores. We know that because we have the final scores for you guys, and it was Nelson Doc Hamilton who had 49-46 for Pettis. So, I mean. I'm just going to hazard a guess that he gave the last four rounds to Pettis 10, nine each time. No, I would think, I think round one is the only one that you'd give to Benson. No round four. We, we scored for, we both scored round four for Henderson. We did, but I mean, we also did the same in round one for Henderson. Right. But I think if you're only going to give one, I think it's hundred percent round four. Agree to disagree, my friend. Okay. Well, if, if it's two, then you're going one and four. Sure. But anyway, yeah, the other two judges did have two rounds for Henderson and three for Pettis. That was uh that was Gebauer and Zazueta, who I'm sure I'm saying their names wrong. Sorry guys. <laughs> but yeah, no ten eights. I mean you can't get a ten eight out of those scores unless you give a ten ten. Can't imagine there was a ten ten in this fight. No way. No, not a ch- not a chance I would say. So yeah, that's that's what we're looking at. I'm you know, I think a fight like this is almost like a reason why you'd say, well we need a better clarified version of what a ten eight is because I think ten eight is a pretty viable option at the very least someone could have been able to give out a 10 8 for round five of this fight i think they should have i think mike bell would have oh mike bell would 100 percent. Mike, mike bell would definitely give it a 10 8 the crazy thing about this was upsetting me because i was going back looking at other fights uh with nothing really even related i was like how did this not get a 10 8 but john fitch got a 10 8 against bj penn in round three <laughs> and to make it a draw but i mean not here in Nothing to do with this, really. But we don't have to get into the tangential yeah. reason of of how you don't like John Fitch, and that you love BJ Penn. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, yeah this this fight the kick made this a legendary. It kind of it almost like it's almost the kick has exceeded the fight. I mean, not not almost. It really has. It like has, everybody yeah. who's been reminiscing about it on Twitter today, they're all talking about the kick, and the kick is fantastic. It's an amazing contribution to. You know the the whole essence of MMA, I guess, and and what makes MMA so fun for fans and things. But it's an iconic. Yeah, this is a great fight. Great fight. Great way for WEC to end. Mm-hmm. Or oh, and just no, fold. we should point out too. I don't think we actually touched on our final scores for this fight. Oh yeah, good. So you had it with how forty eight forty five for Pettis, and I had forty eight forty four because of the ten seven. Yeah, I think. Which is funny because you sport. don't look at that and say, "Oh, this is going to be a terrific fight," because or this must have been a fantastic fight because. Yeah, Pettis winning by four points in our system, but that didn't necessarily mean that it wasn't a good fight. It just meant when Pettis was had his high spots, he had really high spots. I think, yeah, I think you can see that and say, wow, typically if a fighter only gets 48 points, that means they only won three rounds. Yeah. But something awesome must have happened because the other fighter only has 44 points. So if I saw a 48 to 44 score, I'd be like, wow, what happened there? Yeah, very intriguing. Mm-hmm. It at least piques your interest, you know? Yeah. But, I, you know, I do want to say this. I think this was just the perfect send-off fight for a terrific promotion in World Extreme Cage Fighting uh, that obviously gave us a ton of big stars over the next decade. We still think of it fondly, the people who were watching it back then. Yeah, and I wish they'd be like, this weekend, their 10-year anniversary, let's do a blue cage at the Apex. They should do a blue cage, but they're not going to do a blue cage. I know. That's, that would be way too much uh, fun. <laughs> Why? Why have fun? <laughs> well, they did the the old old timey graphics. The one time. they did do that. That's true. They've done it once. 
they had fun once and then they learned from it. Don't do it. Don't have fun again. You were going to bring up. Um... Oh, yeah, I'm going to. I'm getting. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we know Pettis wins the belt. Goes on. And of course, earns that title shot, right? So it's, it's going to be Anthony Pettis versus. Who's the winner of Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard versus the winner of which, Frankie, which, which was going to happen a month later. That rematch, uh, anything? Does anyone remember that fight? Was that like a good fight or not? Oh yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, it was okay. It was a decent <laughs> fight. But uh, so then, yeah, that big title fight that's supposed to happen: champ versus champ, unify the belts, and uh, we get Anthony Pettis versus Clay Guida in a three-round affair. Non-title. Do you remember how we got there though? I have no idea how that happened. You don't remember at all? No. All right, all right. Well, I'm going to take you through it. So, obviously, as you know, in the Frankie and Gray Maynard fight, that one went to a draw because of the crazy way that Frankie fought back from the first round deficit he had. Yeah. Which is, I mean, if you'd scroll that today, that there is, you can't convince me that's not a 10-7, like a unanimous 10-7. He was out. In modern scoring. He could have been stopped three times. You can't convince me otherwise. I, I will not, I would refuse that. Uh, anyone tells me that's just a 10-8, I'd say, get out of here. Yeah, what, yeah. What's a 10 7 for otherwise? But anyway, neither here nor there. They have the draw. Obviously, UFC is not going to let a draw stand in an amazing fight. So they said, okay, we're going to run it back. They were supposed to run it back a few months later, but I believe both of them got hurt. Okay. So this really throws off the timeline for Pettis. Like, originally, Pettis, you'd think, would have been fighting the winner of this fight in the spring. The rematch was supposed to be in the spring from, or the, the trilogy fight, I should say, was supposed to be in the spring for uh, Gray and Frankie. But then they had to delay that all the way to October. Now, Pettis, he doesn't want to sit on the shelf. He's 23, 24 years old. So he takes another fight against Gray, or excuse me, against Clay Guida, just like you said. And it threw off all the plans. That fight, okay, that fight was 2011 in June. Yeah, yeah. It was so, It was about six months later. And, you know, he wasn't going to wait around anymore. But because yeah. he lost that fight. And actually, I kind of want to watch that fight. And wonder. I'm just curious how we would score it now. Because I kind of remember back in the day watching it. And I want to say that Pettis was actually pretty offensive from the bottom. Yeah, you know what? Clay just kept throwing punch. I what for what I remember it was just take him down, stay in his guard, and punch him in the face. I wanna I actually want to watch that fight over again, and I don't think we're necessarily gonna touch upon it unless we think it like our uh, revisiting it today would be for any reason, uh, to come with uh, something different. But yeah, I, I'd be curious to see how that would be scored today. But nonetheless, that actually because Pettis lost that fight, it opened the door for Benson Henderson. To win a couple fights, get himself back into title contention, and then he wins the belt about 14 months after he loses to Pettis. Yeah, so Benson snaked his title shot because Pettis lost to Clay. And then years later, of course, Pettis takes the belt again from Benson. Henderson Got his number. And much more... If Anthony Pettis exists for any reason, it's to take belts away from Benson Henderson. For sure. <laughs> he armbarred him too, which was that was a shock at the time. He did. Verbal tap. Gotta do that. And it's hard to do when you've got a toothpick in your mouth. <laughs> he was fighting with a toothpick in his mouth. All the time. You ridiculous. remember that, right? I, why? But, I mean, I don't want to say he's crazy because it seems like he's, on the whole, not necessarily as crazy as some fighters are. But that's crazy. That's you, insane. You could die, dude. Yeah, like, that's, <laughs> that's insane. That's ridiculous. Oh, my God. I, I mean, the commissions didn't want that. But, like, I can't believe they weren't just checking him all the time being like, dude, open your mouth. I know you got a toothpick in there. <laughs> I know it's in there. I saw I'm not letting you in the cage until you show me the toothpick in your mouth. Joe Rogan screaming it. <laughs> Joe Rogan screams a lot of things. But, you know, that, that that was it. I think we can stop reminiscing about the past. Let's move on to the future where we're still going to talk about Anthony Pettis, <laughs> who's <laughs> fighting on this one. 
I mean, I don't, I don't want to talk deep about Pettis because he's just on the prelims. He's fighting Alex Morano. He's all the way up to welterweight now instead of uh, who looked like a much leaner lightweight. He's now pretty comfortable welterweight. Yeah, he's got that leaner welterweight, I should say. But he, you know, when he's at welterweight, he looks comfortable there. Yeah, no diet in for him. Nah, nah. But in the main event, we got Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Jeff Neal. Yes, I like this fight. Fun fight it should be because I mean we got some really good strikers. Uh, one in Wonderboy, the old guard against kind of not you know a, a, an up up and comer in Jeff Neal at welterweight. And real quick, I don't know if you know, since the main event was supposed to be Chimaev and Edwards, and that yes. got canceled three weeks ago. Is this main event five rounds? I don't actually know. I'm assuming it's a five rounder because it's been several weeks, and I would think that it's a good chance that parties would have agreed to it. But I actually don't know that answer. Okay. Offhand, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean. It most likely is, but mm-hmm. we don't know for sure. I will say it's actually not going to change my prediction too much, uh, which I haven't given yet. But I I do think that Wonder Boy is going to take this by decision. Okay. I like him here. I I just I don't think he's ready. And actually, the main reason that I'm not necessarily picking Jeff Neal here, and I, I won't I won't write him off because I really like Jeff Neal. I like what he brings to the table. But I, think I mean, say do you know thing. about his health scare he had this year? Oh, I didn't know. But I was going to say something else that I thought you were going with, but I don't know. But what's the health scare? He had a near-death experience oh. earlier this summer. We ended up in the hospital. His like organs had shut down and all this stuff. Oh, you got to read the uh, the Athletic, uh, Shaheen Al-Shati from The Athletic. He's got a great piece that talks all about this stuff, about his health scare and then wow. the fact how crazy it was for him. So just to have that, it was over the summer. He's fighting six months you know, ish later after this. I I don't necessarily trust where he's at. I mean, I have to see him before <laughs> his body had a lot of trauma. Okay. I'm with you on that, but that wasn't. I mean, I'm with you for that reasoning, but that wasn't my mm-hmm. reasoning. I was thinking Thompson wins this because I don't know how Jeff Neal's going to deal with a guy who's pretty much a counter striker. We've seen him against very aggressive guys like Mike Perry and Nico Price, and he he handles that pretty well. And uh, so I don't know how how he's going to deal with the patience of Thompson. It's true, it's true, but I mean, I think of Wonderboy Thompson got knocked out by Anthony Pettis. Yeah, I, I, I thought of that as well. You know? I think Jeff Neal hits harder than, than Pettis at 170. I would agree. But, you know, we'll any see. given strike, of yeah. course. You know, we don't we don't want to write off Anthony Pettis because he, again, he knocked out Wonderboy. <laughs> he did. <laughs> and you know who didn't? Tyra Woodley, who we think of as a powerhouse, I at know. least in his heyday. He, he just seemed so scared, that fight. <laughs> he really did. We don't have to get but, deep yeah. into that one. But, yeah, I... You know, I, I wish Jeff Neal well. It's nice to see that he is healthy enough to fight again. Uh, I hate that I read that he's still going back to uh, working as a server at Texas Roadhouse. He had to go back to do that. Damn. Like, come on. This guy's headlighting on ESPN. Why does he got? Why does he have to be a server? I mean, Roadhouse is good fine, food, But, though. like, gosh. Texas Roadhouse has got good food. They do have good food. There's one uh, not too far away from here, which I would like to go to when, you know, <laughs> COVID's over. Door dash it. Get get that yeah that's true get that vaccine going please guys <laughs> but uh, same judges as always in Vegas you think oh yeah I mean it's it's you know no surprises here I'm sure we'll get Sal D'Amato what? Derek Cleary Mike Bell Eric Cologne Junior Shiro Camillo some combination of these folks probably in the main event I was I was thinking because we I was surprised last week to see Jaron Vallel as a ref it was nice to see Jaron Vallel as a ref so, he's he's one of the guys who works um with John McCarthy on the command course. Right. And we know he also judges mainly Bellator in Mohegan Sun. So I was wondering maybe he when he judges, yeah, it seems like he's doing a lot of Bellator judging. But but he's you know I I think of him primarily as a ref. Okay, I not that just, he can't do both. I mean we yeah. we've spoken to people like 
uh, you know, we've spoken to Kevin McDonald, who's who's done both, primarily a referee as well. Yes, I was just thinking maybe we'll see Jaron Vallel as one of the refs, uh, not uh, as one of the judges, perhaps, but maybe not. Probably not. Got some other fights though. We oh yeah, honestly, I like this card uh, on the whole. I mean, we got the Pettis fight we're talking about. I'm not necessarily as psyched about that one. I you know Alex Morano, no offense, I just don't get up for the matchup with him and Pettis. Yeah, I know. I kind of felt that way in January too when Pettis fought Ferreira. I actually like the Ferreira fight because I like Ferreira. Okay. Yeah, that, I was that interested one really in that one. Yeah, it, I I did think Pettis was going to win, but I was not surprised in the least that Ferreira won because Ferreira is a really. Uh, really talented and now he we is, know yeah, i think if, more people know, know yeah, how talented sure. he is yeah. at 155 yeah anything else what 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 about you what what like i want to know what of these fights probably not pettis that you want to see most. no uh the co-main uh jose aldo marlon vera yes more wec never die i i want to see if chito is for real this is a match between two of the hardest kickers in all the sport not just at 135 are you implying that you don't think he's for real yet I do think he's for real. I just don't know if how for real he is. Like he's ranked fifteen. Can he can he <laughs> rise into the title contention maybe one day? I don't know. Uh, but I am, I am intrigued to see after he beat you know the biggest hype train to come along in Sean, Sean O'Malley, O'Malley in very good fashion. And he beat him legitimately. There's, There's nothing illegitimate win. about the way he beat him. Uh, if you guys remember that fight, it was people saying, "Oh, you know, he just got hurt." No, he hurt Sean O'Malley. Right, and that's, that's what I- the job. And he did it. I want to see if Aldo gets his kicks back again. He's been not kicking as often as he, as he. Yeah, for like so. eight years. He's not gonna. He's not gonna start now. But he might win because he's like, oh wow, that ring. You know, Cheeto just kicked me and it hurt. That reminds me, I have kicks just as hard. Let me throw mine now. Let me tell you what I'm most concerned about with Aldo is how does he come back from just getting beaten to a pulp for almost the entirety of the fifth round against Peter Yan, the champion. Maybe with a chip on his shoulder and. Shows the Aldo of old. Or or maybe with, you know, a chip in his chin. I don't wish mm-hmm. that upon him, but I mean, gosh, that was a that was a hellacious beating. That was that was definitely a 10-7 if it went just a Oh, it was gonna be yeah. Second more uh, so. For sure. It had to be. There, I don't know how you wouldn't give that a 10-7. I don't think he, I it literally couldn't have made it that far. It would not have limped to the finish like that. But well, yeah, no like, let's say you were scoring the four plus minutes that, that occurred there, that's 10-7. Leon Roberts caught so much heat for that he, and if he it, did he did and if that, he let that go to the end of the round that would have been 10 times as worse for him i think it probably would have been worse for him but you know look, I, I don't think leon uh roberts is a bad official but i think he had a really bad night and i'm sure he knows that and uh but what's the one fight you're looking forward to well i have to pick one but uh i mean there's a few uh, fighters i would like to see the top I, mean, of the I definitely list. want to I definitely want to see marlon Marais fight i definitely want to see uh, Jillian Robertson fight. I really like what she brings to the table mm-hmm. every fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, if I have to pick the one fight, it's got to be Michelle Pereira against Chaos Williams. Is this because even though Anthony Pettis is on the card, this fight is going to give us the best chance of seeing another Showtime type kick? No. Okay. No. My reason for picking this one is because Chaos Williams, who is a stone cold, no BS assassin, you got him on one side, and you got Pereira on the uh, Pereira on the other side, and I mean he's just this character. He's got this wild and crazy game, of course, like, which you're alluding to. It's like you couldn't get two guys who are very interesting, up and coming, 170 pound guys that are just so different does and ca- throw them together. I think this is just this is amazing matchmaking. I really love this. Does Chaos have more than a minute octagon time? No, he hasn't he's- actually gotten there. 
Okay. I wonder what his cardio is like. Pereira's a tough uh, Probably no worse than Pereira's. Okay. I'm just venturing a guess there, though. I think Pereira might land a moonsault on this uh, this fight. I think Pereira's going to catch heat. Oh, all right. I think I'm getting. I'm going round two KO. I I think I think we're gonna see more of Williams this time. I don't think he's gonna just. Gosh, I have, I kind of hope I'm wrong because I would love to see him just come out there and like he he could be like the 170 pound uh, Francis Ngannou or something. I'm thinking we're gonna see a controversial decision. I don't like you. That's what I think we're gonna see. Why would you do that? That's what I think we're gonna the see. The fight I was most looking forward to, and you put that juju on it. Well, not controversial in the fact that uh you know Diego Sanchez type. More controversial in a lot of bickering from each side. Say, no, I won the fight. No, I won the fight. That's oh, what I think okay. it's going to be. I guess I see what you're saying. No, I think Chaos is going to take it out of it. I, I think he's going to end that. No, nah, it ain't going. All right. Fair enough. But nonetheless, I'm definitely happy that this will be the last event that we have to talk about for 2020. Yeah, we get almost a month off uh, of live fights. From from the UFC, yeah. of course. There will be other promotions going on. and But yeah... If I finally get a Saturday where I just don't don't have to commit hours of my evening to watching the fights. Yes, they are enjoyable though. While I'm working. Yeah. It's just and that's not my primary role with the New York Post is is not watching MMA. Uh, it, it is other <laughs> things. So I, I make sure I watch it, but I you know I have prior primary duties first. So I often now that I have this job, I've often been watching these fights, you know, on delay or later or something like that, and and it's a lot harder to be able to watch it live and score. So I make sure I, when I score, I only score it when I'm watching and most focused. Stay focused. Stay focused, man. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the couch side judges. It is a blizzard outside in New Jersey. I'm going to make some snow angels and some snowmen with my kids who are super excited to see snow. I think they've kind of forgotten what snow is like. because We didn't get much last year. It's going to be very deep snow angel. Oh, yeah, it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Good times. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care, everybody.